on our tables, you'll see this card for the City Open morning, which is happening in a couple of weeks' time. If you've got any, any children, nephews, nieces, youngsters you know, students you know in your, in your circle, encourage them along. If you'd like them to follow in your footsteps and have a, a career in Covent Garden or anywhere in central London, this would be a great thing to invite them to, to get a grip on what it looks like to be a Christian in working in central London. So please people let, let people know about that. And please remember that Covent Garden groups happen every Thursday morning. Time to have breakfast together, hear a little bit of the Bible, pray together. You'd be really welcome over in the Neil Street Espresso. It'd be wonderful you can make that on a Thursday morning. Anna's going to come and read for us from page 26 in these Matthew's Gospels. And then I'll come up and pray and get going. Thanks, Wes. Yeah, so we're in uh, Matthew chapter 10 today. So if you want to pick up your little Matthew's Gospel. And we're in chapter 10, beginning at verse 24. So chapter 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Thanks so much, Anna. Let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Please, would you be at work by your spirit in us, helping us to listen and grow in our understanding of what it means to know the Lord Jesus and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please keep that passage open, and you've got this sheet with a few points on it that will hopefully be of help as we work through it. Now, we all know that fear can be disabling. Apparently, 18% of us experience arachnophobia. We're scared of spiders. They're a pretty bad plague at the moment, aren't they? 12% of us fear or have coulrophobia. Do you know what that is, coulrophobia? Apparently, that's a fear of clowns. I spoke to someone a couple of days ago who admitted to a phobia of ketchup, and someone else said they are absolutely petrified of butterflies. But 20% of us have glossophobia, that is a fear of public speaking. 
But what about the fear of speaking publicly about Jesus Christ? What about the fear of being outed as a Christian, being public about a, being known as a God-botherer or a Jesus freak? Well, in this part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out and share his message. And he has identified fear of people as a big issue that's going to prevent them from doing that. So you see that in, in, in our passage, verse 26. So have no fear. Verse 28. Do not fear. Verse 31. Fear not. And surely Jesus is right to home in on this, this issue of the fear of man. We're all prone to it. The fear of what others might think of us, what they might say about us, what they might do to us. Maybe you're here today and you're holding back on becoming a follower of Jesus Christ because you're scared of what people might say about you. Think even of the Apostle Peter, the lead apostle, when Jesus was arrested, why did he deny even knowing Jesus three times the fear of man? Why have so many church leaders down through the centuries adjusted and altered the Christian message so that they would fit in with the culture around them? It's the same reason. Why have I sometimes stayed quiet rather than told people the greatest possible news, the thing that will benefit them the most? Why have I not said, said anything? Maybe a couple of you are even asked this morning, what are you going to do at lunch? And you just muttered something about, oh, I've got an appointment. I've got this meeting. Well, London Zoo apparently can help us deal with our fear of spiders. They run a course specifically for that. And I'm, obviously you can get a course to deal with your fear of flying or your fear of dogs. I'm not sure there's one for clowns or butterflies, but what about this fear of man? Well, Jesus Christ has a four-step program for us in this passage to overcome the fear of people so that we will live courageously for him and speak fearlessly for him. So let's work through this four-step program. Step one, remember the master. Expect revulsion. Now, some fears are completely unfounded, aren't they? There are not any clowns hiding behind wheelie bins ready to leap out at us. That's right, isn't it? Is it? Good. But when it comes to speaking about Jesus Christ, a fear of man is not a delusional fear. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So in one sense, there is a good reason to fear people. Now, one of the things I love about Jesus Christ is his courage, his utter fearlessness to speak the truth lovingly, whatever reaction he gets. So do we want to be like him? Yes and no. I want to speak the truth. I want to help people benefit from what Jesus has done, his death, his resurrection. I want them to be forgiven. I want them to be part of his family, to enjoy eternal life forever with him. But I also want to be liked. I don't want to be despised and looked down on by my friends and my family. 
And in the previous passage that we looked at last week, Jesus warned his apostles that he was sending them out like sheep amongst wolves, that they would be hated by all for his sake. Now, last week, someone said to me, this sounds a bit serious. Is that really going to happen to us? Isn't that just for the apostles? Someone else said, surely the Christian message is about love and it's about peace. Surely people will be pleased to hear that. Well, the apostles, they did have a very specific role in a particular time in God's plan. But Matthew includes these instructions here that Jesus is given, giving to his followers on mission so that all Christian disciples will engage in his work of going and making disciples of all nations. And here in this passage, you see Jesus uses the general word disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher. And then in verse 30, 32, he says, whoever acknowledges me. So he's got all followers of Jesus in mind at this point. But sometimes I've heard this quite regularly from Christians. They've said, yeah, but when we actually follow Jesus, it'll be it will be good and it will be distinct and different. And people will respect us for the way that we live. They'll say, oh, you're so honest and you're so kind. Isn't that brilliant? Well, the Christian life can be really powerful like that. It, it will stand out from those around us. But I think we've just got to be a little bit careful. Jesus isn't promising that people will always like us. They might notice a difference over time. Hopefully, as we change and become more like Jesus, they will respect us. But when we're speaking the truth about him, his message, actually, we'll get a, a mixed response. Some people will be want to know more. Other people will hate it. And you see that through the New Testament. Remember 1 Peter, Peter says, live distinctly as people speak against you as evildoers. They will call you evildoers, which is the point Jesus is making here. And so we mustn't think that we're somehow special and above Jesus, that this won't apply to us. Verse 25, if they pulled the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, Beelzebul is the word that Jews would use to describe the devil. Beelzebul was the, the name of some Babylonian god. I think he was the lord of the flies or lord of dung. So it's a pretty serious insult, isn't it, to give Jesus. And so Jesus' point, if they called me satanic, if they called me evil, don't be surprised when they call you stupid or backward or repressive or misogynistic or homophobic, a Bible basher, a racist narrow-minded, bigoted. William, who was speaking here a couple of weeks ago in the press a few years ago, was described as a fundamentalist extremist. They said he was the Church of England's equivalent to Abu Hamza. I think he's probably quite proud of it, but there we go. That's William. But we, it's important that we don't think that this treatment is beneath us. And we think, oh, well, I'm not going to put myself in certain situations. I'll just leave that to the junior guys in the office or I'll leave it to those particularly keen Christians. Jesus is saying, if it happened to me, it, it will happen to you. And we also, I think, need to be careful that we don't just think, well, you know what, Wes? I'm very winsome. I'm very good at explaining things and I'm very likable. Now, you, I know you're a bit socially awkward. I can tell that straight away. But I can explain the Christian message in a very reasonable way so that people will understand it, they'll understand how good it is, and they'll like me. Well, it's not going to be like that. And I think it's really good to be alert to how 
particularly we might be affected by this, this truth. So I was chatting a few months ago to a chap called Richard, who's a lawyer, and he was explaining to me what he thinks the difference is between lawyers and bankers and insurance workers. And he was saying, the thing you've got to know, Wes, about insurance workers and bankers is that they're very relational people. They love doing deals. They love getting alongside people, working with clients. And so for them, when they get cut out of being in the inner circle because they're a follower of Jesus, that really hurts them. Whereas lawyers are a bit different. Lawyers have accepted the fact that they will never have any friends. They've got used to that. They've come to terms with it. But their whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that they're very clever. They know stuff. So when a colleague says to a Christian lawyer, ah, Smithers, you're one of those happy, clappy, Ned Flanders, God squad, born again types. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I always knew you were a bit weak minded. That really cuts them deep. But whatever it is, whatever our personality, let's not shy away. We're not above Jesus. But it is going to be painful. And our temptation will be to recoil, to step back. So step two of Jesus's program is remember the nature of the mission. Remember the nature of the message. Don't fear, proclaim. Now, at this point, I would have expected Jesus to give us a few tips on how to explain the message in a way that wins people over, helps us to know when to speak and when not to. But Jesus is actually quite blunt. He's not particularly therapeutic, you might say. So have a look at verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops or the rooftops. Now, tell me later what you think. But I think what Jesus is saying in verse 26 is this. The truth is all going to come out eventually. So you might as well get on with this and be open about it now. Being fearful of what people think isn't going to change anything. So the sooner you get on with being open about following me and being open about the truth, the better. So it's a little bit like, you know, when politicians or an organization try and cover something up and then eventually it comes out and you think, what on earth were you doing? That was obvious that was going to come out at some point. Why did you try and keep it secret? And I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, what I've said to you about sin and death and God's judgment, how to enjoy life, heaven and hell, who I am, all these things, people will try and hide them now. They'll try and pretend that it's not true. But one day it's going to be plain to absolutely everybody. And on that day, you don't want people saying to you, what, you knew all this and you didn't tell me. And then Jesus pushes things even further in verse 27. Look what he says there. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, Jesus has already been pretty public. He's gone around doing all kinds of miracles. He's given the Sermon on the Mount by this point, up on a mountain with thousands there. So he hasn't been particularly underground. But I think what he's saying to his disciples is, don't let that kind of negative reaction cause you to step back. In fact, take it to the next level. Don't fear. Get up on the rooftops with your megaphone and let as many people know as possible. And Jesus is particularly preparing his disciples for the time when they will fully understand everything about him 
and the nation and the message is going to go global it's going to go not just to the jewish people it's going to start going to the nations and that's a big theme then through the rest of the new testament we are in the age of the good news we're in the age of proclamation and jesus is saying to us you're a follower of mine i want you to go out and make make disciples of all nations and this open public heralding of the message is a big part of that now not that we have to go to the literally to the top of the covent garden market or to the top of the royal opera house and start shouting and he jesus knows that we're, we're all different we've all got different skills and different situations he's not saying i want you to have amazing oratory it's good to think about how we do this when we do it there will be times not to speak but he's saying don't let your decisions about that be shaped by fear our decisions should be shaped by his insistence he, the fact that he wants as many people as possible to hear the good news to hear his message so i think it's a good thing for us to think how how can we do this what how does this command of jesus encourage us how does it challenge us so let me ask you a question you can shout out i'm not going to pick on anybody but what reasons might people have for coming to a lunchtime talk like this fellowship brilliant thank you very much yeah definitely that's a good reason isn't it that people would give for coming to this yeah brilliant any other reasons people might come curiosity yeah brilliant so an encouragement during the day and encouragement to go back to our offices and speak to people yeah great sandwiches yeah yeah we might find it interesting think yeah that's intriguing i'll come and listen to that yeah it'd be interesting thing to listen to yeah brilliant now think about the, the guys who started these lunchtime talks back in in the 60s not the ones here at Covent garden but in london back at over in, in st helens where some of us some of us will know the work there was started by a group of guys who were they prayed for seven years every monday lunchtime they were praying and praying and then eventually they they started lunchtime talks and they did that because they wanted as many people as possible that they're working with to hear about about jesus you think about the original people who started these talks 20 years ago they wanted people to hear in the Covent Garden area. I was hearing this week about a, a friend, one or two of you might know, called Charles, who works for a big German bank. And he's just recently relocated to Luxembourg with his company. And there's a little group there that have been praying for about 10 years for people in Luxembourg. They've tried various ways of reaching people, but now Charles has come, they've linked up and they on Monday they started a, a, new, a new lunchtime talk and they had about 24 people come along. But they want to do that because they think the workplace is a great place. It's the public square to make, to give people a chance to hear about Jesus. So there are lots of reasons to come. There are lots of reasons to have these talks. But I think that's a really primary one to keep the gospel message public, to have it out in the open. And I guess it's worth us all thinking, if we're a Christian, how do I get behind that, that command that Jesus gives us to proclaim from the rooftops? So what I'd love you to do now is just for a few minutes, there's a couple of questions at the bottom of the sheet there and have a, have a chat about the top two. The one, there's one about what makes us fearful particularly and then one about how can we 
practically get behind what Jesus is saying about proclaiming the message. Or you might think, I'd like to push back. I've got an objection. Come up with a question that you want to ask. Ask me in a few minutes' time. But just spend a few minutes knocking those questions around. Thanks very much. Excellent to hear your thoughts, observations, objections in a moment. Let me just give you give us a few more thoughts on this, and then we'll look at Jesus' next steps in his program to help us overcome fear. So I think often it's tempting when we think about the reaction that we might get to think, you know, I'll just be a private Christian. It's my own personal faith. I won't talk about it. I'm British after all. I'll just keep it to myself. But that it doesn't really make sense, does it? When you see Jesus is the Lord of all, he wants his message to be out there for everybody. And he, this is a straight command. Go and go and tell people. You can't really stand up on a rooftop proclaiming something and be anonymous at the same time. It doesn't really make sense. But then I'm tempted as well to think I'll just sit back and I'll wait for an opportunity to arise. And I'll wait for that kind of moment where it feels really natural to speak about Jesus. And there is wisdom in when and how and when to speak. Jesus had earlier said, be wise as serpents. But this go and proclaim from the rooftops, you really see Jesus is, is not saying hold back. He's saying, go and take the initiative, let people know. If we only wait for opportunities, there are so many people who will never hear, who will never get to engage. I was chatting with a, an American guy a couple of weeks ago who I bumped into, and he, he made the point that he feels a lot of churches in America at the moment are so focused on kind of fighting their part of the culture wars that they're very focused on or becoming a bit inward looking to develop this kind of bunker mentality. And I think that's really easy to do. We become, as Christians, a little bit fearful of what the world believes and what the world says that we think, right, we'll gather and we'll protect, protect ourselves rather than being proclaimers who are giving other people the chance to benefit from what Jesus has done. And if, I think it's quite good to always think about the early church, what they were doing in Acts. And you think about how Paul was going to Athens in the marketplace, in the public square, engaging with the philosophers and the academics of the age explaining who Jesus was. He did the same in Corinth, in Ephesus. He's out in the public square seven days a week. Whereas it's easy for Christians, I think, to we retreated into the into Sundays into our church buildings. And so I think, yeah, it's so encouraging to see how many of you are looking for ways to to help other people know about Jesus. And then there's it's worth thinking what, what messages are in the public square at the moment. I guess Russell Brand, what's going on with, with him, climate change, the war in Ukraine. All of these things are really important issues that raise important questions. But we know, don't we, our culture doesn't really have answers to the questions that they raise. But Jesus does. His message should be in the public square because that's what makes sense of all that we see going on around us in the world where we actually see answers so but it still it still causes us fear what people are going to think of us what they might do to us so let's focus quickly on step three jesus says remember who matters verse 28 do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
So Jesus is making a simple point, fear God, not man. There may well be consequences if we follow step one and step two. And it's easy to be flippant about this, but Jesus wants us to ask, what's the worst that they can do? Yes, they might be able to kill you, but they can't change your eternity. So don't focus on people, focus on God, fear him. Some of you might remember that the early Christian Polycarp, one of the first people to be martyred, he was a Christian in Turkey and the Roman governor was trying to persuade him to give up on being a Christian. And he said, look, I'm going to send the wild beasts to tear you apart. I'm going to throw you into the fire. And Polycarp said, do whatever you want, but can you give me a chance to explain to more people who, who Jesus is just before I die? You know, the fire that you can do well is nothing compared to the fire of judgment that's to come. Now, that confidence from Polycarp, I don't think came from the fact that he was just a bit of a nutter and just a bit hardcore. I think it came from the fact he really did fear God. He focused on God. And so his public declarations came out of his personal devotion to God. And that's the same for us. That's what's going to change us from fearing people to loving people enough to speak to them. It's that having a focus on God. And Jesus doesn't want us to be in a state of terror about God. Have a look at verse the next verse verse 28 jesus wants us to remember that we matter to god that he cares for us he's in control verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head are all numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows now i know some of you have been I've faced all kinds of opposition for being being Christians. I know people who've been even had their contracts terminated. One guy I know, he was kind of used in a diversity video for the company and they were showing it even after they got rid of him, partly he's convinced because he was a Christian and was too open about explaining who Jesus was. But that didn't happen to him outside of God's control. Do you see... What, what it involves for God to look after a sparrow. He's got to look after all the cats, make sure the cats don't get the sparrow. He's got all this, the sparrow hawks to deal with, the jet engines. God is in control of absolutely every detail of life. And he's using it for our good. You see how much God cares for us. Did you count how many hairs you left on the pillow this morning or how many went down the plug hole? Probably not, but God did. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. That's the level of detail with which he cares for you. He's not going to let something that's going to be really bad for you happen. He knows what is best for you. That's that's what should give us confidence to, to speak and live for him. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much if we're fearful of spiders or clowns. We can probably get through life with avoiding public, having to speak from a platform publicly. But if our fear of other people does get the better of us and it stops us acknowledging who Jesus is, then that really does matter. So have a look at Jesus' conclusion to this little bit in verse 32 to 33. So everyone who acknowledges, or the word is confesses me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So it's a bit unsettling, is it? It's not that Jesus says, you know, you deny me once or you don't take an opportunity once, that's it. It's this kind of settled position. Am I with Jesus? Do people know I'm with Jesus? Am I willing to talk about him? Or am I just trying to be a private Christian and think I won't speak about him? 
we're doing that, we're on shaky ground. But look at the, the wonderful encouragement here. We love it, don't we, when someone important says, ah, yes, I'm with Wes, I know Wes. That fills us with, with pride, doesn't it? And imagine the last day, Jesus saying, acknowledging us, we're one of his. We, that good, well done, good and faithful servant. So why don't, why don't we pray together and then just a couple of minutes, any questions, uh, observations that you've got, it'd be great to hear. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Our father, we do ask that you would forgive us for when we feared others more than you, when we've treated the opinion of others more than, than yours, and we've cared more about our own reputation than yours. Please give us courage. Please give us compassion. Please give us the joy of sharing the message of Jesus with others. And we pray that this message, this good news of Jesus, would ring out here in Covent Garden, in the offices we work in, that many men and women would come to in Jesus' name. Amen.